0: star Francis McDormand. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. For having us.
1: The film doesn't feel primarily a work
0: of social commentary. That feels very subtly expressed. One of the first things we learn about Fern is her freedom. Uh, we see her being on the side of the road with not a care in the world, it seems. Wow. Well, I, I think Fern is at her four, isn't At my core.
1: So here we go, um, facts about Whodunit um, from 1942. They cut a scene where Lou is Romeo and one of the actresses is Juliet. Because I think that's a joke that runs throughout it, so they mm-hmm. cut that. These aren't really cool facts, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the ch- ride cowboy. The film co-star, no, that sucks. Um, <laughs> Okay, so this isn't as exciting as I thought it would be. You know, shout out to Shout Select for putting out the Abbott and Costello complete film series of their Universal films, but yep. I was expecting some cooler facts in that book. but
0: Yep. I mean, Shout Factory, man, they do they do great work, but often uh, with some to be desired. I yeah. would say. Yeah,
1: yeah but. That's okay. It comes with commentary on hold that ghost.
0: Oh yeah, I mean you know it's all it's always still positive.
1: Anyway, here here we are. This is the beginning of something great, That's and right. uh, you're here with us. Grounded around the city, a little of Music Box. Done some work with Odd Obsession, RIP. I uh, do a little writing with Cinephile every now and then, um, but this is. Here we are. I, I don't I'm not proud of it, but maybe we will be one day.
0: Yep. Uh my name is Willie Morris, uh, freelance programmer is what I say these days, which really just means I can't get steady work <laughs> in the realm. So you know, take whatever different. take whatever we can get. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm gonna start saying
0: freelance now. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, so that's what I say now. Um, because to people who don't know me or hadn't worked with me in the past they're like oh interesting so it works great um you know yeah otherwise just uh I'm doing whatever I can random little jobs here and there um as we've said before we both really don't like podcasts so here we are making one seeing if we can <laughs> make something uh that we don't hate out of it you know maybe someone will stumble stumble across it and be happy that it's not a uh, Too too stiff, at least. We can say that.
1: We're going to talk about a lot of things going on in the world. I guess some of it does pertain to filmmaking, but some of it kind of... Things we'll probably talk about are just things that are affected by film culture at times, but also things that influence film culture. And, you know, we want to dive into... You know, we want to dive into streaming. We want to dive into the Academy, we want to dive into lots of things that exist to put movies in front of you every day that, uh, you don't even realize the mechanisms, the Mabusa like mechanism that is <laughs> telling you that you should see Nomadland. It is the best movie of the year. Mm-hmm. And so we'll whinge about shit like that, but then, you know, it's like, we're spending, uh, you know, our unemployment money on things like, uh, the complete Abbott and Costello Blu-ray collection.
0: Yep. Or a or a German Blu-ray of Jess Franco's the Devils with four different cuts. You know, important <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> so yeah, we're here we're here to gush as much as we're gonna whinge, I would say. You that know? classic so
1: be, yeah. Yeah. The classic thing you want from Jess Franco is <laughs> four versions of one movie
0: yes in case you were really itching to get the 118 minute french export version we've got you covered
1: but thankfully i can check that out now because as we were talking about earlier i'm back on the scene i got my my region free blu-ray player again after my initial one crapped out on me and i was
0: it's uh, it's a crucial tool
1: it is because the second it crapped out on me i was left with a a large order of indicator titles that uh, on Blu-ray that I suddenly couldn't watch. And uh, <laughs> that was hard. I've been dying to crack into the Ford of uh, Fox, or not Ford of Fox, Ford of Columbia set. And now I can, you know. Now I have multiple copies of Little Murders, one that I was going to return because I thought it never arrived. <laughs> so
0: the world is here uh, yet again. <laughs> before yes. just the u.s was your oyster but now you're back
1: <laughs> i know i'm back and i can watch it all now so
0: can't be stopped
1: um, i think we're gonna really get in the habit of starting these episodes off with what have, what have you watched yeah sort of discussion so i'll leave it to you Well, what have you been watching
0: um let's see i always, you know i keep my running list each year of the of the films that I am seeing for the first time that are not new movies technically, but that really, you know, um, I like to think of them as things, things on this list are movies that remind me why it's all worth it, right? Like, so let's see. You start with uh, probably Best Friends from uh, 1975, uh, Noel Nesik, uh who also did, the only other two of his that I've seen are Youngblood and King of the Mountain. Both very good, but Best Friends kind of blew me away. Have you seen this one?
1: I don't think I have, actually.
0: It's a, let's see how to describe. On the surface, kind of a buddy, buddy road trip comedy of sorts, right? Um, Sees a, two guys who've been friends for a long time, just getting back from the war, right? So it's a Vietnam movie of sorts. Rescued and restored by, of course, the heroes of Vinegar Syndrome because I had not oh, heard yeah. this movie prior to them putting it out. Um, but yeah, without, without spoiling it, What Starts as like a seemingly pretty standard, you know, in that realm of like a, bit, a little bit scuzzy 70s road movies, buddy comedies. Um, in its really short runtime, it, it descends or ascends, I guess, depending upon your perspective, but into this really strange homoerotically charged like disintegration of a friendship and why that happens and the people that are like you know caught in the fallout of that happening um and so it's you know i've heard some people talk about it being one of the most interesting war films because that being the background so you know whatever it is that did or didn't happen um in their time in the war and how it changed them and them just trying to still be friends right in this time so it's it's Absolutely amazing. I think um, if you like low budget exploitation leaning type stuff, uh, that one definitely very much worth checking out. So yeah, that one, that stuff's been great. Um, Hitoshi Izaki's Afternoon Breezes. That's probably my favorite thus far that I've watched all year Um, as far as older stuff. I found that one because I was re-watching Sogo stuff. Arrow put out the Burst City Blu-ray, which I can't believe we have any of his stuff on Blu-ray, so fuck yeah. yes. Um, cool. But anyway, I was reading about it uh, in some of the material they provided, and they were talking about that amazing time in Japanese cinema, where it's that weird thing where it's not like in the U.S., right? Where, like, you can't can't couldn't get funding for these, like, interesting movies. In Japan, that was not the case, right? You could get funding for pretty much whatever you wanted to do. But there was this group of, like, late teens and 20 somethings who hated all of that. They, they didn't like that they could get it. They didn't want to be a part of any system that would have them kind of thing, you know, some Groucho energy. Um, and so they basically just like went out. Uh, and from what I understand, we're like, you know, living in warehouses, grabbed a bunch of eight millimeter and 16 millimeter cameras. And we're like, fuck you, we're going to make it ourselves. We don't want your money. All the films in that era of this like very oddly unique independent scene um in film history i think and this one came up i'd never heard of it i'd never heard of uh, hitoshi izaki um and this one now i put in a very small category of uh movies about lesbians directed by straight dudes that are actually worth your time <laughs> uh this one very much so and then also um Oh, where's my brain? John Sales, Liana. But this, yeah, this is like a very strange, uh, at times experimental, um, at times hangout. Strange, strange movie, but really beautiful stuff. And I'm hoping that one gets gets some love coming up. But yeah, After Breezes. Yeah, it's so good. And then um, let's see, other shit to mention. Just re-watching Eagle Panel stuff. Always Emerald amorous. Pinnell? No, Eagle Panel.
1: Oh. I thought yes. you were going to talk about Buddy Not your Emerald Fennell, Fennell. <laughs> or
0: whatever. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, his, his stuff, um, I hadn't seen. Let's see. I had a few left because we used to show. We sh- we showed a couple of them at CineFamily way back when in our Underground 80s series. But I had not yet seen um, Heartful of Soul. And uh, what was the other one I watched? Hell of a Note, which is one of his shorts. But as far as just like working class Texas Hangout movies, I don't know if you're in the mood for that sort of thing. Nobody did it better, I don't think. He's just—they're just so good, and like they're very stiff, of course, and they're non-actors. But if you just go with it, have a great time, and you'll feel like you're hanging out drinking beers with your buddy in like a dive bar in Texas, which is a great feeling, I think. <laughs> wow. You know
1: that actually sounds great.
0: Yeah, I think I think you'd really like them. They're very very cool, um, and I think Mubi actually has a bunch of them right now.
1: Mubi formerly known as the auteurs
0: <laughs> yes thank god for that title change <laughs> <laughs> Woo. yeah all right and then let's see i'll I'll wrap out with just a couple more uh, i finally watched cisco pike blew my yeah. fucking mind and i'm like so mad at myself because it's been one of those on the list for so long but you know um yeah. yeah and that one there's also a great uh kayla janice did a like 40 minute uh presentation on that indicator disc about joy bang her like incredible but short career very much worth the time and then the last thing shulia chiang who i had only seen one of her movies until pretty recently she's i guess most well known but even that is a stretch but most well known for this movie that is technically porn um made in 2000 called eku it's just iku um Mm. And that one is a bit of her like strange experimental shot on video Blade Runner offshoot of sorts, but her eye is incredible for sets. Um, and she's amazing. And so I'd really liked that movie and I'd, you know, shown it to a couple people over the years. But recently I finally dug into the rest. She started in like experimental video art uh, doing that sort of thing. And that stuff is really good that I've been digging through. Um, but my favorite, uh, one of the only, I guess, what you would call like straight movies that isn't necessarily, you know, experimental video art or porn that she made that I hadn't seen until this year is called uh, Fresh Kill from 1994. Hmm. Um, and I'm actually just gonna read the, rarely does this happen, but I'm just gonna read the IMDB description because it's, it's just kind of perfect. Two young lesbian parents, Shireen and Claire, raising their five-year-old daughter, Honey, in a converted garage on Staten Island. Shireen salvages refuse with her pickup truck while Claire waits tables at the hip Nagasaki restaurant in Manhattan, caught up in a global exchange of industrial waste via contaminated sushi. As a ghost barge bearing nuclear refuse circles the planet in search of a willing port, household pets begin to glow ominously and then disappear. People start speaking in tongues. The crisis escalates when a multinational corporation is implicated. The couple's daughter, Honey, mysteriously vanishes, and a group of young New Yorkers strike back in an unlikely alliance with activists in developing the world. Yeah, really, really it good. Is- it's a great place to start with her because you know, like the the other stuff, whether it's because the experimentation is so abstract and intense, or you know, if you don't like seeing pornographic things, this is a great place to begin.
1: <laughs> this is a perfect indicator of who the real perv is. On. <laughs> On this, you know, I like to think of myself as a classy perv, but this is, this is the man, the real <laughs> perv right here.
0: I mean, like, a, I'm, a, I'm a Jacques Scandelier perv. Like, one of, the, <laughs> one, one of his dudes in, in uh, one of, well, which, which one of his movies is it where there's that insane scene where the dude's, like, tied up in leather being whipped while that huge dog just watches? God, that movie's so much fun. But I've, I've done it again. I'm just bringing up more porn
1: yeah yeah but again then my point my point stands well my what i've been
0: watching
1: is gonna seem really tame by comparison Uh, (laughs) i've been a little behind with it because it's all cool you know culminated with me getting fully vaxxed up and just being completely out of it so that's why i had been watching like i mentioned with you some jess franco films that i'd never seen that was kind of Uh, An area I was always waiting until I was hung over enough or just like (laughs) so doped out from a vaccine to stop a world pandemic that I couldn't focus on anything else. So thankfully that happened. So I was able to just really dive in, um, spend a day of just kind of going through them. Originally started with a little kind of research because we are going to do uh, an upcoming episode on Chinese censorship and um, the Fu Manchu movies. It's a very interesting path to go down and it will be a lot more instructive and vitamin nourishing than this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I was digging into the uh, Christopher Lee Fu Manchu movies. I watched the Don Sharp ones, which were fine. I mean, you know, whatever, but by the time I get to the third one, who I don't remember did that one, The Vengeance of Fu Manchu, I was just dumb. Yeah. I don't, know. Like, yeah. God, I, don't know. I can't watch another one of these. And I watched the Jess Franco one, The Blood of Fu Manchu, almost shot entirely in a jungle, which I know he likes to do, but it, it it's Jungles
0: and Castles, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the next one's called The Castle. Of Fu <laughs> yep. Um, so, but at least these movies, while they're not, again, I'm not going to go the wall for these Fu Manchu movies, but they're pretty, he at least brought something of a, an actual like human personality to the mm-hmm. thing. And I was, it was different. And so I thought, well, now that I'm kind of locked into the, the Jess Franco thing, maybe I'll just go a little deeper. And so I watched Venus and Furs, which I thought Venus and Furs was excellent. I thought that was a, a very good movie. And if you're not familiar with Jess Franco, we should say that he's commonly regarded as just a trash, like, don't bother with this guy.
0: Yeah, 200 plus movies in a, in a short career compared to that number.
1: So another motherfucker with a lot of movies to his name, but most of them hit. But kind of the flip side of your Jess Franco is your Raul Walsh.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, I watched one from 1937 called Hitting a New High.
0: I have not seen this one.
1: Stars Jackie Oakey, America's number one funny man, and Edward Everett Horton in uh, another role that tries to make it seem like Edward Everett Horton is a straight man. And if you know any Edward <laughs> Everett Horton role, he does not seem that uh, way. But
0: He is not.
1: <laughs> not Yeah, not head. <laughs> so anyway, but the plot is like them basically, it has none of the Walsh flair. And it just is kind of like about these guys. They go hunting. They try to go hunt a a a, bir- a slat like a bird slash woman who makes weird you know fluttering noises. It sounds like a weird fucked up theremin. And they, they go to the jungles. It's a lot of Edward Edward Horton in like a safari cap. You know, crouch down like <laughs> Elmer Fudd with a fucking gun, and they're just. <laughs> yeah they're like trying to like yeah find this bird woman to bring (laughs) um not not my favorite but it's interesting because it's a very batshit kind of like hallucinatory idea and not in a good way in a completely dull way but it sounds like a good
0: hangover movie
1: yeah if you're up late at night and you can't (laughs) so thankfully i chased that with um another walsh from two years later 1939 uh, his film St Louis Blues, which Ooh, yep, yeah, which was really good. that one's so good. I, I could not believe that mm. I had not seen it yet,
0: and yeah, I only it was only like maybe that one was recent, recent that I watched that shit, like definitely since I've been in Chicago, but I was also upset I had not seen before,
1: <laughs> yeah, really good movie that deals with the deep south at a certain time, weirdly comes out the exact same year as Gone with the Wind. I'm going to say I, I would go with St. Louis Blues. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a Walsh movie through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, it it just had everything that I was not getting with hitting a new high. And mm-hmm. not a movie that's probably going to play with a modern audience extremely well. There's a lot of uh, things that probably have not yes. aged well for some.
0: Definitely a, definitely in the complicated <laughs> category, but I would say well worth if you're interested in history <laughs> if you're and interested, interested in like, you know, how a country is developed and how it deals with, you know, its sins all yeah. that shit. I think it's got a lot of value in that realm.
1: Yeah. Let me just say, if you made it through Walsh's the Bowery, this shouldn't be hard.
0: <laughs> yep. Isn't I wish that thing? was on the, on the poster.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you enjoyed that movie and you weren't <laughs> taken a pack by the, uh, yeah. The Times presented there. This one will be very just fine, <laughs> just fine. So, um, let's see what else did I watch. I guess when Easter happened, we uh we had a fun day uh doing a double feature of Richard Fleischer's Barabbas and oh, yeah, John Huston's The Bible in the beginning. Yes, I love and
0: that movie so much.
1: I hadn't seen it in a long time, not since like. I don't know, some point when it was on Turner Classic Movies and I lived in Kansas City but Barabbas I had seen also Been a minute it's Richard Fleischer, I consider him one of the greatest filmmakers that ever lived Barabbas doesn't fail you it's, uh, it has if you know the story of Barabbas, he's the guy that gets freed ahead of Jesus when Pontius Pilate, you know, decide to free Barabbas, the criminal played by Anthony Quinn Anthony Qu- hold up <laughs> And so, yeah, it deals with Anthony Quinn <clears throat> sort of uh, having this mental breakdown of the fact that, um, you know, he was freed over the guy who's going to, like, die for people's sins and whatnot. So it's a pretty, like, you're not going to get anything, like, in terms of, like, in my opinion, great storytelling. You know the story. But yeah. they shoot the crucifixion of Jesus during an actual solar eclipse. Yeah. If you are trying to get that biblical movie fix of that time, Barabbas is the one. And uh, yes, yeah, so then we watch the Bible, which, again, I'm not the biggest John Houston boy, but every now and then, he can really rock one home.
0: Got to we got to do John Houston at some point because it'll be fun. Because I have, I would say, oh God, so many different times in my, you know, movie watching career, gone back and forth where at times I am including everything, all his movies. I'm convinced like, as far as like a, uh, you know, a person who can't keep their shit together, punk, one of my favorites, cause I think he's a shit kicker of like the highest degree. Sure. But then I've also at times when I've gone back through, cause I've done it way too many times, <laughs> when I've gone back through where I'm like, all right, half of these are fucking amazing and half like, you know, drill my eyes out. So I don't know, Houston's interesting.
1: And I think the Bible is a good example of that because I think the first half of the Bible is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm not as enamored with George C. Scott as Job.
0: Part. Oh, agree. I think it's terrible casting. Honestly. Yeah, <laughs> so, and he's yeah. a
1: guy who, or he pushes this very literal view of the the the, the story that he's presenting that I think sometimes comes across very. But way too on the nose or just yeah. flat out boring. Yeah. I mean, I, I that's why I don't really yeah. I don't really fuck with like Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I used to love it. I've tried to rewatch and it doesn't hit me in the same way. But then he yeah, has shit like Fat City.
0: Yeah, the lake, the lake career has always remained my favorite. I would say it gets
1: better, I think.
0: Yeah. Always. Even Phobia, which I actually rewatched recently, yeah. which I think yeah. falls apart, but in such a fascinating way. Cause have you watched have you seen that one? It opens like the first three minutes are like pure ecstasy. And like you think you're like, Holy shit, what am I about to experience? And then it stalls out so hard and never recovers. But lately on this last rewatch, you know, new new theories okay. of of and I haven't I haven't dug in enough yet on what's written about it or what isn't written about it but the thought in my head this time was that it was <laughs> even though he did this many times John Houston was a prick right uh you know knowingly so it was like not a not a easy person to work with um that's why he's so great in like Winter Kills <laughs> yeah uh, but part of me now thinks this movie is him truly just middle fingers up and like all right hollywood this is what you deserve after all these years yep because is that the last one what's the last one prissy's
1: honor is not his last that's maybe the last
0: no which i love that one yeah let's see okay no it's actually i'm pretty sure that's his final movie yeah you're right no and prissy's honor is second no i'm way off this is still yeah we still have six more after phobia but okay this actually makes sense and kind of adds to it because Wise Blood, I think, is one of his masterpieces. You know, it was no secret like how much it took out of him and like how you know bad everything was getting in his life. And it makes sense that then Phobia was next. But he then bounces back a bit after the next three because then it's like Let There Be Light, Victory, A and E. But then we have Under the Volcano, Pritzi's Honor, and The Dead to like yeah. finish out. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah, and know, I can not... think I
1: think The Dead is maybe his best movie. I
0: mean, yeah. Oh, it's great. It's a, it's my favorite swan song, probably.
1: Ford Seven Women, I always look at it as like oh, the ultimate swan yeah. song. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But you know, there's, there's a lot to like in The Dead. I mean, obviously The Dead, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible what he's able to do with that. Um, And you're right. I think that you're getting a little bit of his more melancholy worldview coming into those later movies, um, which brings me, to what I watched last night. This is a movie that one, it's by a director that I love, you know, Mm -hmm. I revere this filmmaker. I think there's someone that we both know that I love a lot. And this is a movie that I had just kind of avoided or I'd seen it and I didn't, I don't remember loving it. And it just felt like one of those like missteps, but Boy, was I glad that I could not sleep last night. And I just, this was the the vibe for me. It was like, well, I'll probably fall asleep in the middle of it. So I should watch something I don't really want to watch. Yeah. And it is Brian De Palma's 2006, The Black Dahlia.
0: Yes. Ooh. A
1: movie that I, I, you know, you can be the biggest De Palma guy.
0: Yeah. That's always been the one that I don't try to defend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nope. It's a weird, well, like most of his movies of that. Time, I'd say, post *Film fatale mm-hmm.
0: He's
1: really not. He's looking for a lot of. Well, with *Film fatale he starts really scrounging for that European money. Though this movie, *The Black Dahlia*, is has the conventions of a Hollywood movie. It's got. I mean, it's a who's who of that time period. I mean, you got Josh oh, Hartnett, yeah. you got Aaron Eckhart, <laughs> you got Scarlett Johansson, uh, you've got uh, Tilda, not Tilda Swinton. Hilary Swank oh that's have, right yeah you have Rose McGowan in a really small very funny part like oh my have,
0: god yeah I totally view, forgot about like, that like
1: light parts of that movie um so it's this huge this who's who of uh, big actors at that time and it's all about Hollywood it's all set there looks like you know I remember this coming to like main theaters I remember the the trailer for it and everything. Yeah. None of that movie was shot in Hollywood. It was all shot on a soundstage in Bulgaria. We love it. <laughs> it really adds to what I I think I kind of, in 2006, when I was a senior in high school, I was not picking up on. Yeah, but
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I remember it coming out at the end of high school.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It was probably my first or second year of college was having that eureka moment with the cinema of Brian De Palma. He's a filmmaker that is not, very universally loved And he should be He's very misunderstood
0: I mean I don't give a shit If someone doesn't love it At the end of the day But it's crazy to me That he's not a staple To yeah. at least
1: discuss Like his know. good buddy Martin Scorsese Who
0: Yeah deserves
1: all of the credit But it is Bizarre that De Palma Has not Gone that route And I There's a lot of reasons for that I know he's had a lot of issues With Hollywood Sure and People fucking around with his movies and so black dahlia is what i read is about an hour of that movie was cut out mm-hmm. so obviously you're gonna have some imbalance in <laughs> to like tell a kind of pretty convoluted story i mean the elroy novel is well one a lot of people hate that it's not technically factual these true crime nerds Whatever. out there <laughs> all of you just fucking it <laughs> just get,
0: get out of here <laughs> nobody cares you? i promise no one
1: cares and you're sick yeah. you're really sick. but because
0: yep, those are the people that always are ready to tell me how bad i am for all the movies that i watch and i'm like really mr serial killer
1: yeah like we said the true crime people don't like that it's not factually accurate Two, that it's it is kind of narratively structurally a little incoherent sure but that isn't the faults of the filmmaker when you get an hour no. away from your movie it's going to have problems yep. so I think knowing that you're able to come at the movie a little differently because it's flawed but it's strengths are a lot more on the surface than I'd even realized I think the fact that it is not shot in LA it's not shot in Hollywood the, the, the light as you know the light is very particular out there and they almost get it but it's not natural it's all on a soundstage and it's what could be more apt for the filmmaker brian de palma who opened his big budget mission impossible franchise starter with uh, a fake scene taking place in you know this like constructed uh, set where they're trying to like juice a little information out of this uh yeah. croatian gangster or whatever and, and so as we've gotten older we've grown more cynical with the world this has to be the one of the most next to redacted maybe the most cynical De palma film and that's really saying something yeah and this might be due to the fact that i guess right before shooting his dad died so oh, i didn't know
0: that okay
1: there's this whole and he's had a weird relationship and you know what i've read in biographies of him with his father mm-hmm. and that's kind of represented in the movie But the movie is also the hangover of his constant torture by uh, Hollywood with his career, which is like, he has a hit. They let him make what he wants to make for a little bit. He makes some stinkers, or so they say, or disasters, usually not. Sometimes most of the time out of his control. Then he'll make something else that'll give them a reason to give him work again. And so by the 90s, I mean, he had done Mission Impossible, and he done Carlito's way too. Right before that, I don't think that was as big a hit though as Mission Impossible. So Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. he's now like he can do whatever he wants, and that's one of the few movies that I think actually subverts the the Hollywood blockbuster successfully.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree
1: all the way through. So he's he's had so much disaster doing Mission to Mars. He wants to leave Hollywood forever. And then he makes, yeah, he makes The Black Dahlia. And I think people miss that he is not a filmmaker who is interested in capturing reality. I he no, never when, has been. He never has been. And I remember when he did press for film Fatale, the director that he wanted to have walking with Sandrine Bonnarek at the beginning of the movie was originally supposed to be David Lynch.
0: Oh, yeah. Makes perfect sense. He yeah.
1: Could, exactly. And he even, they quoted him, uh, De Palma saying that we see the world through the same set of eyes. Wow. And yep. I really think that is yeah. true when it comes to, I think what you miss about a Brian De Palma movie is yeah. they're so dependent on the act of voyeurism and looking and how you get tricked by the very thing you think you're seeing. What could be a more apt way to describe his career and how yeah. his movies have been perceived.
0: And I think that's why so many people miss out. Yeah. Because like, the amount of people I've talked to over the years about De Palma, like, you know, in my different ebb and flow of like, just ultimately falling in love with almost everything, you know, up to this point, except Black Dahlia. So now, obviously, I'm going to revisit after hearing you say this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Really- yeah, the the amount of times people have... It's, it's a very common answer of, like, unless they're just upset by the content, which, you know, that's fine. Never trying to make anybody watch anything they don't want to. So that, I have no issue with that, but... Yeah, the amount of times people are just like, I don't know, like, I just didn't buy it. It didn't seem realistic, or the acting didn't seem very convincing. And it always comes down to that, where I'm like, well, but it's not supposed to. Like, (laughs) he's not making documentaries, you know. Not at all. Even those early days, man. Like, even, you know, even the early days where it's certainly more flirting with that i guess as he was more like political and jean-luc godard minded
1: yeah 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 yeah. but I mean, even
0: that it's still not reality right like high mom sure. doesn't exist in this universe
1: that <laughs> and distancing model he employed in greetings and all that yeah shit, his high mom is still extended up throughout his entire career yep everything. And the Black Dahlia helped remind me that it has everything that you want in a DePaul movie. It's got his obsession with doubles. It's got his voyeurism uh, sort of critiques and fetishization of it has everything that you want in the DePaul movie. It just doesn't have the most coherent storyline. And a lot of that is kind of left up with the big twist that happens because Mm -hmm. you... the the characters that you need to be familiar with are just not in the movie that much because they're gone. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but it's, um, it's got William Finley in his last appearance in a De Palma movie.
0: Oh shit. Yeah. Which I forgot.
1: So it was really like totally off the couch. I was just like, what in the hell? And wow. But I, as I was watching, I was remembering a lot of like critiques that people had about it, and I remember people really critiquing the Hillary Swank role, and they're not convincingly playing these characters. I, I you could say it's bad acting, but I don't think it is. I think he is letting he's letting you in on this movie that is about the veil of reality just being completely disintegrated in front of your eyes in one of the bleakest upsetting ways but it's not a tormented movie at the same time and it has all the things that De Palma can do so well with a film camera that you don't mind that this is one of the darkest movies in that guy's career and yeah does it stick it completely together you know to the end I don't know but far from being I think De Palma's greatest accomplishment or one of his more noteworthy films it's it's really a movie that deserved better than it got Mm
0: -hmm. well tomorrow morning that's my first one i usually do a 5 a.m movie and that's what i will do tomorrow
1: i don't know how what that's gonna signal for the rest of your day set up for enjoyment (laughs) but I'm, i'm i'll be very curious and well i'll be happy to know if you like it because then i'll know that i wasn't just sleep-deprived, hallucinating (laughs) that this movie was better than I remember it. But yeah, it's a a perfect example of don't let your first impression of a movie always override you've seen it a second time. Because I
0: would say never even.
1: Never, yeah, probably, yeah. Because most of the time you are too busy thinking about plot, trying to keep Mm -hmm. that straight in your head. Also, sometimes you watch a movie, you're just in a bad fucking mood, you not yeah, you're, so we encourage everyone to just give it a second shot. Turn, you don't need to finish the Queen's Gamble. Uh you don't, <laughs> you don't need you no, know, it doesn't matter. she's probably gonna win. yeah, you know, or she's gonna lose and she's gonna learn a lesson. so <laughs> and also, you know, before you reach for your Amazon Prime account to click on Nomadland, you know, <laughs> you can, you can think of all the other movies that we have talked about today because okay. I, boy, I, if you really want to sit yourself through Zo- Chloe, Zoe Chloe, Chloe Zhao, Chloe. Yeah. Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, you know, I don't know what to tell you. You're not listen. Don't listen to this.
0: yep that's a good disclaimer and we're not mad like do your thing live your life but you probably won't find a lot to uh to uh you know dissect or future future explore
1: it's a very dull movie and it's just
0: like that's what's killing me because the amount of times now i've had conversations where people are like oh i get it you keep saying it's like pro amazon that's cool and i'm like look let's throw that shit out the window let's just talk about the construction. Yeah, forget let's the talk fact about let's talk about all the technical part details of the
1: book that is very crucial. Haven't read yeah. it, but we, we can put
0: that. like all emotionality aside and I will yeah. tell you on a technical level why this movie sucks and that is someone who as I've told you, I think her first movie is fucking fantastic and the writer, her second I, movie I, is I like really really that's the second one, writer's second. Oh, that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah. I've only yeah. seen the writer, but I liked
0: the writer. Yeah. Oh, dude, like uh my brother uh most of it. uh songs my brother taught me first Oh, one. that's right, right right fucking stellar for my money and the writer i really like also so this is someone who i was like excited you know but whatever anyway this we'll, is we'll why don't more.
1: fuck around with these motherfuckers that's why he is not <laughs> doing with these people they want to give they, they want a sanitized version of yep. whatever it is you're putting fucking money into and yep. just because it's there in front of you saying watch it I mean that's I mean we'll probably get into more with like Oscar stuff as we go along, but it is okay. very funny the the Hollywood press demons uh, descending upon every website's ad spot to say that the greatest movie of the year is is without a doubt Nomadland, a movie, and again like we said you don't have to think about this political aspect to it, nope. but if you are curious about it, it's very pro Amazon. <laughs> so i don't care i don't care what you come down on the book is uh, has very crucial things about working in those facilities
0: and and incredible testimonials from very real beautiful working class interesting people yeah all of which the movie has the gall to still include them on screen but none of them actually get to speak their truth that is in the book so you know take that for whatever man like if you still like it and i'm also the biggest up to this point i would have you know died on any hill for francis mcdormand since day one since blood simple but i don't know now i'm questioning that and you know i mean i'm what blood simple came out almost when we were born so basically entire life spent loving francis mcdormand and now i'm shaken so you know just think about it
1: (laughs) she played fern i'm just like whatever and, you know, just read read interviews surrounding it if you don't yep. think that the studio is trying to bend over frontwards for Amazon.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, shall we uh, shall we wrap up the inaugural?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to bad mouth? I know we... We've I actually, a-
0: closing, closing thought, I want to... <laughs> just to get things off on the right foot, right? Like, obviously, the movies I was talking about, Out the Gate. You know, I'm drawn to I'm I'm definitely drawn to odd, potentially unloved corners of art and movies often. But I just wanted to be clear that I truly do love a great Hollywood movie, and I don't just mean you know like John Ford that we talked about or well, in, any of these people. I don't just mean like the Hollywood of yesteryear. So I want to highlight one that is now technically knocking on three years old, but a movie that I will continue to praise until everyone watches it. Togo. So Togo is to me the it's the proof in the pudding for me and why I get so mad about Marvel movies and why I get so mad about all this shit because it is a reminder that you truly even with you know massive budgets a big headlining star like Willem Dafoe um, the guarantee of like beautiful cute puppies which will make anyone watch a movie and to its credit barely any CGI puppies almost all real. <laughs> Uh, You know, it's just a reminder like how good Chick could be and, you know, a a reminder that we don't have to be where we're at, you know, and if you also if you want to uh, if you're looking to get some friends who need to virtue signal to enjoy something that movie the amount of research that went into the uh, native people that are in it and the language they speak is, you know, squeaky clean, they did a great job everyone is respected loved and paid and you get beautiful pups, and again, Willem Dafoe.
1: Why watch Iron Will with uh, disgusting uh, Kevin Spacey <laughs> when, you can watch, when you can watch good, clean boy Willem? Yes. So we'll leave you with that, um, and we're going to have a lot of guests. There's going to be a lot of cool interviews we're going to do. We're going to touch on a lot. Don't let this just completely spoil the outlook of it but maybe you really, <laughs> maybe you like this and there will be a lot of us just kind of yep. winging on stuff so it you, you won't be us just us the whole time so don't worry about that um but hopefully everyone stays chill out there and
0: watch some movies man just watch some movies it's watch
1: some movies or don't stare out a window just take in like the sounds around <laughs>
0: The, here's the facts you need to know about this world. Now take your take your audience there, lead them, guide them, hold
1: them by the hand, push them into a new um, perspective of this, and then let them make the judgment for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I like
0: that.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's we're not here to teach. We're
0: here to hopefully uh, communicate and, and make you feel something. Make you feel something make you feel something, something. something. and make you feel something.